This is the third Sunday of Advent, and you noticed that uh, Mother McNeil was wearing uh, a different color on the third Sunday of Advent. Rose, it is not pink. <laughs> Although, as I have said before, it's the, there are two times in the year when the clergy get to wear Eucharistic vestments that are more lined up with their political and social principles than at other times. <laughs> Which is some comfort. I'll explain a little bit to you about this. It's uh, this The third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday and it, the tradition. And the reason that it is is that the old entrance, rather than a hymn you sang a introit, it was called the, the entrance, and the introit uh, began, Gaudete, rejoice. And so that is what, uh, what, where, the, where it comes from. And sometime in the Middle Ages, the custom in churches that, that, that had the ability to do it, uh, these rose vestments were worn. And they're also worn on the fourth Sunday in Lent. And the whole purpose of it is to somehow enlighten, in terms of the visual idea of what's going on, uh, the tone of the season. So what I thought I'd do is, is use the third Sunday of Advent, because next Sunday it's really close to getting to the Christmas uh, thing, and so we'll, have, we'll re hear from Luke, and we'll have uh, some things about switching gears to the birth of Jesus rather than preparation. So I thought I would do a little recapitulation, because you know how I feel about the word recapitulation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about the season of Advent and what the four themes are that are very important. And they are repentance, hope, expectation, and joy. And today the joy uh, surfaces. So we need to talk about what do Christian people mean when they use the term joy or what does it mean to be joyful. And John the Baptist, again, is uh, not feeling in a particularly um, humorous frame of mind and is talking about repentance. So we need to talk about how we understand repentance in the church, why it's important, and how we can put it in our hands and maybe do something about repentance and see its centrality to the Christian faith and life and to spiritual growth and development. And expectation is also something that is part of this year. When I was a little kid, the expectation was, what am I going to get on Christmas? But uh, expectancy is something that you and I, is, is a positive spiritual quality that we can live into all the time as Christian people. So we should know about that. And hope is the condition, also a default condition of Christian people. So what might it be? So let's take repentance first. I'm going to talk about the gospel a little bit a little later. We also read from Zephaniah, probably the second time in the church year we ever read from Zephaniah. So I thought I should say something about dear old Zephaniah. In the Greek New Testament, there are two words that are used for repentance. The most famous one that preachers talk about all the time is metanoia, which means to turn around, to look at things in a different way. There's another word that is used for repentance, uh, and that is epistrophe. And here's the difference. Repentance as metanoia 
is the process of self-reflection where you come to believe that you need now to do something about the direction of your life or you need to in some way touch that thing which has made you somehow resolve to embrace whatever vocation, whatever relationship, whatever understanding of reality you have come to, how you're going to in some way revivify that and how you're going to remove from your habits of being and relating those things that prevent that process from flourishing, from coming to full fruition. So metanoia has to do mainly with the internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states that are involved in this process, you know, reflecting, thinking, coming to some conclusions, making a decision. Epistrophe means the same thing but the difference is that there is a more emphatic quality about this uh, term, and it also has to do with how you take that internal resolve and put it in your hands, how you make it real. And so how you not just, you just don't talk the talk, but you walk the walk, or you think about what it is that you're going to do, and you begin to say, now I need to do it. Here's the way that I need to do it. Years ago, I heard a lecture from Ger by Gary McOyne, who was a, a famous Latin American journalist for the National Catholic Reporter. And he came to Tucson, Arizona, and he gave this talk. It was just about when they were going to elect and had elected the new pope, Pope John Paul II, after the one-month uh, thing with uh, John Paul I. And uh, he was talking about it, and I can't remember, I guess he was talking about clericalism or something like that. And in the course of his speech, he said, you know, one of the ways to stop doing something is to stop doing it. <laughs> right? It sort of seems obvious, doesn't it? But the fact is that I have spent a whole lot of my life fixing to get ready. <laughs> and so in that sense, uh, I realize that epistrophe needs to be brought to bear, not just metanoia, right? So in Advent, when we think about repentance, it will surface again in Lent, but the idea of repentance is turning around. Now here's how in the historical idea of the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, and the ministry of John the Baptist, this sort of works itself out. John the Baptist is preaching uh, repentance. Jesus will do this too, but his ministry is going to take a left turn from John the Baptist, and he is going to preach more about the values of the kingdom of God and what it would mean to be a transparency and a reflection of those values personally and corporately. So in some way, he, t he's, he changes the emphasis, although he doesn't leave it all together. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Some say he was, he's related to him and may have, in fact, been a disciple of John the Baptist. You know, one of the tests of the, the historical core of the New Testament, where all, where all the critical skepticism about the uh, biblical witness and so forth, you need to know that the comfort or, or the willingness on the part of the biblical writers to speak about these ambiguities and uncertainties and realities is a testimony of the fact that they were there and they couldn't be denied. 
So if John the Baptist had a deep influence on Jesus and other people think, oh, well, he was God. who He doesn't have any influ- human influences. Well, as Father Hunt used to say to us, you can believe that if you want to. But the truth of the matter is, is that the church, when it wrote the Bible, said we need to be clean about what, what's gone on here. So it's a testimony of what happened. In any case, repentance is at the heart of our self-understanding in the sense that you and I need to constantly think about uh, how we move in a direction that is more godly. And this isn't always a negative assessment of our behaviors. It is also an affirmation of all of the things that we do well and the decision that we make to put those things into our hands and to make a difference in the world. Each one of you has something to offer uh, to God's plan for the cosmos. You are important. And who you are and what you do counts. And that's also at the center of the gospel uh, proclamation. Hope, you've heard me say this before. I heard someone say a long time ago, I understand hope to be honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm. So it's the attitude after you've gone through metanoia, epistrophe, how do you uh, do this? By being honest, by being open, by being persistent, and by um, being enthusiastic or rekindling that thing that you were uh, enthusiastic about initially, you know. There was a study uh, some years ago made in the Episcopal Church by uh, the Church Pension Group, I think, because they have the resources to do this. Uh, they wanted to study the, cler- the clergy population in the Episcopal Church, and they wanted to determine uh, w- how they understood what the healthiest group of clergy constituted. I wish I could tell you that their assessment of the percentage of clergy they considered to be healthy was much higher than it, in fact, was. <laughs> but one of the things they said about the clergy uh, that they thought were the healthiest emotionally, spiritually, physically, and so on was that they were realistic about their ideals. They were realistic about the institution called the church. How many times I have been told by people, oh well, that's the institutional church, right? Well, there's a great writer on theological matters. He's dead now, a priest. He said, there ain't no other kind. And further to the point, any spirituality worth its salt institutionalizes. So we can spend a whole lot of time kicking at the institution but understand that maybe the internal processes that each of us go through have something to do with being realistic about our idealism without lapsing into cynicism, which is the great temptation, you know? I think sometimes the clergy are a cynical group of people when they don't necessarily need to be, although one of my recently retired colleagues said sometimes being a parish priest and a Christian always seemed to me mutually exclusive. (laughs) Right? That's kind of a cynical statement, isn't it? So that's something that we need to say, how would we work on that and think about that? So the whole idea of hopefulness means that you're honest, open, persistent, and enthusiastic. Ed Friedman used to say, how do I develop and continue to nurture the internal self-regulation, the internal strength and stamina, to meet the challenges and the opportunities in front of me because most of us 
are ground down by the ordinary drip, drip, drip. It isn't the great ideas that defeat us and crush us, is it? It's the same old, same old. You know, things never change. People seem to be the way they are, right? So what are you going to do? Well, I guess the ball is in our court, isn't it? And that maybe is something Advent teaches us. Expectation is the ability to allow your imaginative powers to run to their fullest extent in, in, in your life. So, you know, part of being hopeful is also the idea that you can, be, you can expect a good result. You can somehow vision this. And that in some ways, the use of your imagination is an important thing. You know, there are many theologians who write about the truth of Christianity as embedded in a kind of poetic outlook with regard to how we understand the nature of humanity. And so when we think about that way of looking at things, the powers of imagination, that may have something to do with uh, our ability to meet the challenges and the opportunities. So expectant isn't like being at the door of Mervyn's going open, open, open. You know, that's, <laughs> I think sometimes that's how people think, you know, what it means to be expected. You know, when will it happen or when will I get what I, you know. But it's the idea that you have the power of imagination to make these things so. You know, people who are able to do that and not get mired down into the um, minutiae that drowns all of us. And finally, joy. Joy is mentioned in two places in the readings, uh, in Zephaniah and in the very short reading from Philippians. Somebody said to me uh, at 8 o'clock, uh, one of my seminary classmates got up to read the lesson at Evensong one day and uh, pronounced Philippians the Filipinos. <laughs> he was also the guy who got up and read one time and was talking about Jesus in having a controversy with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <laughs> Jeffrey Barnes went to Harvard. So anybody can do this. <laughs> right? And when he made that gaffe, I remember him standing at the lectern and he went, oh. <laughs> the place was up for grabs for 10 minutes and the dean kept going, you know, on the, on the pray do. May we have, you know. Anyhow. In the Philippians, it's just the, se it's just the passage about rejoice. So it focuses this, the, our attention for the Sunday. Zephaniah was a prophet in Jerusalem, and he exercised his prophetic ministry from 650 BCE to 640 BCE. Remember BC, we're going backwards with BC to zero and then up. So he was there and the entire course of Zephaniah is the blue picture, you know. He's like Jeremiah. Everything is going to be a horrendous situation and you don't want to have the day of the Lord come I still went to seminary when they had biblical content exams and you had to actually know what was in the Bible. 
And so periodically through the, through the year, the, 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 guy, the, the professors who taught, who taught you know, New Testament, Old Testament stuff, they would give you tests, you know, sort of off the cuff in class. So uh, Father Hunt one day said, what does Amos mean when he speaks about the day of the Lord, Mr. Brewer? <laughs> I said, well, he means the day of the Lord is the great day when the Lord comes and all things get made new. And he said, no. <laughs> the day of the Lord you don't want to have come because the day of the Lord's going to be taking names and kicking you know what. <laughs> <laughs> Zephaniah is just like that, except today. And what we read in Zephaniah is the great joyful section of Zep about the possibility of God's redemptive work now bringing things to full. How would he be thinking about it? Well, it's around the Babylonian captivity. A little bit before that, there's a lot of war going on. And he means God's restorative work in human history to bring to completion the promise of Israel. And the early Christians read this passage and said to themselves, you know, this is yet another example of the prediction of the coming of Jesus who is now going to bring that all into completion and maturity and fruition. So we ought to be joyful about that. Well, how would you make it part of your own personal history in your life? One of the ways that you would do that if you say, what does it mean to be a joyful person? It doesn't mean living in a condition of perpetual hilarity like Snoopy, <laughs> right? It means that you become confident that the uncertainties and ambiguities and conundrums of your life are going to come into surer and clearer focus about who you are, what you should do, and your place in things. So it's something that you can be appropriately joyful about. It isn't some sort of, uh, you know, hilarious condition of perpetual happiness, you know? the distinction between happiness and euphoria. They're not the same. And so when we're joyful people in Advent, that's what we believe. Now, John the Baptist at the end today, uh, his final appearance in Advent, uh, is speaking about a principle that I wrote down, I was thinking of all spiritual advance begins with a turning away from what is hindering our confidence or our obedience. All spiritual advance begins with a turning away from what is hindering our obedience or our confidence. So when you think about the preparatory seasons, it's interesting, isn't it? Because for Christian people, this is the beginning of the year. Advent is the beginning of the year. So it also coincides on the calendar with events which will bring in the new year in the general calendar of things. And it's often a time when people think, you know, this is a good, I'm just going to start up again and I'm going to do something this year that I haven't done before or begin to get back on track. 
sometimes you can do this, you know. We do a lot of fixing to get ready. I mean, it's true, for example, that after New Year's, all of a sudden the uh, gyms uh, sign up a lot of people. Okay. Because I've got to get back and I'm going to go and I'm going to get started and I'm going to work out and I'm going to do all that stuff, right? Some people stick and some people don't. But you know what? Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> right? We usually get it the other way around, don't we? Oh, well, if you can't do it well, why bother? Well, you'll never get anywhere. Right? Even if you do it badly initially, it's a good thing. So this week, think about the importance of turning around and looking at what you do in a different way, looking at your relational life in a different way. Understand that uh, being honest, open, persistent, and enthusiastic will help you do this. You need to have the expectation that it will work for you, and that means that you bring to bear the full force of your imaginative powers on all of the things that you do in your life. You know, your imagination is important. We're not talking about fantasy. We're talking about thinking about what you can expect and having some vision of doing all that. I knew a guy years ago who used at the beginning of every year he got a couple of railroad boards and he put photographs on them of stuff he wanted to do in the year. Go to China. Don't, you know, here's a picture of the Great Wall. Or I'm going to, you know, visit the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Or I'm going to, you know, go take a class on how to be your own owner, build a contractor. We did that once. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, we were might have been mightily helped. Because I can't have the wool pulled over my eyes anymore by some guy comes and said, well, we're going to have to run a three-quarter three over there, and then you're going to have to go to now. No. <laughs> we now know. So... That's an important thing. So he'd put all that stuff on, and he'd go, and then he'd put it in the closet. And we'd go through the air. I used to think this is the hokiest thing I've ever heard of. And it may be, not for him, because he did a number of those things over time. So think about using your expectant, the, the force of your imaginative powers. And finally, think about being joyful, you know, and this is a gratitude thing. It has to do with uh, um, the, the, the benefits of the personal generosity we've received from people in terms of affection, materially, emotionally, spiritually. All of those things are important for us. And so we give thanks for them in this season of Advent. Amen.